Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to New Valley. I want to add my uh, welcome to, um, to Amanda's also. We're just so glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're especially glad that you're here. Come, come meet us, say hello, and we look forward to getting you more connected. We have connection coffees from time to time, uh, and we connect that way. We have the cards in front of your, your, your uh, seat there you can fill out. And also, um, uh, the, Amanda mentioned the intro to New Valley class. We'd love to, to see you there and get to know you more and let you know uh, what we're about. Uh, We're in a series in the Gospel of Mark um, right now, and we're in chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. We're going to be reading that in just a minute. Uh, We're going to be doing this up through Advent, and then we'll take a break for Advent, and then in the new year, we'll pick back up in the Gospel of Mark. During Advent, we're going to be talking about various theophanies, and that's not a name. That's like uh, when God appeared in the form of a a burning bush, for example, and and showed up in, in real ways throughout the Old Testament and some in the New, but obviously Jesus is the ultimate theophany, the coming, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. So join us for that. Uh, uh, Let's turn right now to Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. It's a long passage, but this whole section ties together this issue of hypocrisy. Let's read, and at the end of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, and let's say together um, boldly, thanks be to God. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well said Isaiah, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, whole, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down in many such things you do. And he called the people to them again, to him again, and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they 
defile a person. This is the word of the Lord. Well done. <laughs> when talking to anyone about Christianity, um, if they're outside of the church or outside of Christianity, and you ask them one of the, the most obvious responses that people have of why they don't go to church is what? Hypocrisy. And right with it, there's two other things. It's self-righteousness and judgmental spirit. And they really go together, those three things. And every single time I've ever asked a congregation or an audience, like, what, what do people say about why they don't go to church? This is the number one answer over and over again, hypocrisy. Our core values at New Valley, we t- talk about quite a bit, are authentic community, um, gr- growth in the gospel or gospel growth, and kingdom mission. And I just want you to see, and I hope you unpack today, that authentic community and hypocrisy are like oil and water. They absolutely don't mix. They don't, they, don't get, they don't go together. They don't create an authentic community. They can't possibly create an authentic community. The other thing I want us to see uh, big time this morning as we study our passage, and I hope you're encouraged to see this, that Jesus is far more concerned about hypocrisy than you are. And if, if you're not yet a Christian, trust me when I tell you this, Jesus Christ cares far more about hypocrisy and has far harder things to say about hypocrisy than even you might have to say. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. Today we're going to see what hypocrisy is, what hypocrisy does to us, and finally the solution to hypocrisy. But what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is an act. It is pretending to be something you aren't, right? The word hypocrite in Greek literally means to be an actor. And so it's this idea of of having a public persona that doesn't align with the reality in your heart, in your life. And if we're honest, let's just be honest at the very beginning here. Every single one of us battles and struggles with hypocrisy at some level. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's just a reality. Meaning, not everything that is about our personal persona aligns with how we actually are in private or in the, in the core of our heart or in the core of when the doors close. We know that to be true. All of us. It doesn't matter who you are. So at some level, we all have some hypocrisy. It's having a public persona that doesn't align with reality. It's not practicing what you preach. Again. It's judging others for doing the same thing that you do or someone you support does. In Matthew 7, Jesus had this to say about hypocrisy in verse 5. You hypocrite, talking to the Pharisees, take out the log out of your own eye, this two by four, this plank, before you attempt to take a speck, a little piece of dust out of your brother's eye, Jesus said, you have a two by four. You literally have this enormous piece of lumber coming out of your head. Take that out first before you take out the speck in your brother's eye. You see, the Pharisees were part of a religious movement that was seeking to restore Israel uh, to purity, and the, the, the way that they thought they would do that is through the, a very, very strict observance of the law, the Torah, on the one hand, but also the tradition of the elders that they had added to God's word. And at the heart of their movement and at the heart of their desire was to be separate for God and to God, and that's a good thing. And the Old Testament talks about the people of God to be called out to be holy, to be set apart, to be separate for God. But the way in which they did that actually separated them not from the world, but from God himself. They believed that complete separation from Gentiles, non-Jewish people, 
would keep them from defilement. If they could just stay away from the outsider, from the, the unbeliever, from the person that was far from God, then they could remove themselves from being defiled, the Pharisees. Scribes were those religious leaders who were professional copyists. There was no printing press, right, or printer, of course. And so, like, to get copies of the Torah or the law of God or the word of God into synagogues and, and places of worship, these scribes would copy uh, very meticulously every word and every part of, of the letter. And they were, they were theologians as well, and they were very serious scholars about the law. And they were joining together, these Pharisees and these, uh, these scribes from Jerusalem, sent from Jerusalem, and we get the sense to bring attack towards Jesus. Mark explains to Gentile readers like us that the Pharisees and the Jews didn't eat without washing their hands. And the law of Moses had prescribed all kinds of rules for priests for the washing of their hands and their feet and their body prior to making sacrifices. And, and the Pharisees had added this tradition to apply that to all Jewish people. Now, they washed their hands, they bathed, they washed dishes before eating cups and copper pans and all these things it says, and their feet prior to, uh, to eating. And most of you are like, yeah, that's exactly what they should do. How could there even be a controversy about this? And the controversy, though, is not because of microbiology. They're not washing their hands to remove germs from their life or not get sick. They didn't know about that. Instead, they were washing their hands and their feet and their cups and everything to make sure that none of the Gentiles' defilement got on them. It wasn't so much, it wasn't at all about that, the thing being unclean. They didn't understand about germs. Instead, it was like, this thing may have been defiled because I was in the marketplace today shopping and I may have accidentally touched an unbeliever and that unbeliever's defilement may have gotten off on me and then on you and then on this pot or this pan. And so we have to wash, we have to cleanse ourselves before we eat. When I was a kid in the 70s and the early 80s, there was an equivalent to this defilement. It was called cooties. <laughs> Mike was with me. And a few years ago, I did some very scientific research when my boys were still in elementary school to see if there had been a, a vaccine to annihilate cooties and to see if it was still around, and it was still around. So I asked them, what are cooties? <laughs> and they said, it can happen when a girl sits on a chair and if you touch that chair after they have sat there, well, you have cooties. <laughs> the chair has been defiled by a ceremonially unclean person, right? <laughs> a girl. <laughs> Boy, times have changed <laughs> for my boys. <laughs> girls no longer have cooties. And by the way, girls, if you're a young girl, like, uh, it's the guys that have cooties. We know this, right? <laughs> if there is such a thing as cooties, it's not girls. It's dudes, just look at them. So. <laughs> so these Pharisees, these scribes, they come to Jesus and they complain. Why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders by not washing and eating with defiled hands? And Jesus pulls no punches towards the Pharisees, these leaders, and he, he quotes Isaiah 29 from them, for them, and he says this. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it's written, this people honors me with their lips, 
but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines of the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And what Jesus is saying is, hypocrisy is a heart issue. And the truth is, every issue is a heart issue. But hypocrisy is a heart issue. You can worship God and have a heart that is far from God, he warns us. You can literally worship in vain. If you come here today and take part of our, our worship uh, and in some of our traditions like that are not necessarily you know, perfectly from Scripture, but like a confession of sin and an assurance of pardon and, and, and singing and, and the songs we sing, there is a form of worship where you can just go through the motions but have your heart far from God, and Jesus warns us of this. They did one thing outward in public, and, and Christ, throughout his teaching ministry, would warn, like, do not pray as the Pharisees pray, who love to go into public, and with all these histrionics and big words, like histrionics, and, and, and say all these puffed up things to get people's attention towards them, and say, oh, they're, they're so spiritual. They do one thing in public, but inwardly, in their heart, they're far from God, they're far from loving their neighbor as themselves, and they're entirely different people. And of course, this begs the question as we're wrestling with this issue of hypocrisy, and some of us are very sensitive, does this mean that any Christian that is still struggling with sin, meaning like, hey, I, I want to identify with the truth, but I still battle faithfulness, you know, in my private life, in my real life, in my heart, if I am for God's truth and yet I still, there's a disconnect between what God says is true in my own life, does that make me a hypocrite? And I just want to encourage you, no, struggling, continuing to struggle with what is good or living it out is not, not what hypocrisy is. It's pretending to not struggle when you actually do. It's not identifying as a struggler. It's instead to say, no, I have figured this out. I am righteous. There is a law. I'm keeping the law. There is a right way to live. I'm doing that. That's, that's the hypocrite. It's not to struggle. It's not, it's not, to, uh, it's not to say, like, I, I can never even talk about a truth unless I'm fully living into it. If that were the case, I could never, ever do what I do for a profession, and I'm doing right now, preach. I could never do that. None of us preachers here at New Valley or any other church fully live into the truths we proclaim. We can't. So we walk in the truth, but we also identify as fellow struggle, strugglers. The hypocrite has no humility towards fellow strugglers. Ultimately, for those of us who follow Jesus, hypocrisy comes from not living in line with the gospel, the good news about Jesus. We are made right with God, not on the basis of our performance, not on the basis of us earning a right relationship with God. This is such good news. The word gospel literally just means good news. That our relationship with God is not built or established on us performing to keep God's law. Instead, this is such good news, that it is based on the reality of Jesus's performance on keeping God's holy laws perfectly, so perfectly that some of the ceremonial law actually gets set aside. And Jesus is going to do that in this passage today. That some of the Old Testament ceremonial laws found their completion and their fulfillment in Christ and now are set aside. Jesus so perfectly performed God's law. We look to him by faith. He is our righteousness. He is our forgiveness. He is our hope. He is our identity. This is why we can sing, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 
and believe that and, not, and not, not sing like, I hope someday to be a child of God. I hope maybe someday God could accept me as a child of God, but to boldly declare, I am a child of God because it's not based on my performance. It's based on Christ. Religion says, if I obey enough, I may be accepted by God someday. I may, I may, I'll strive, I'll keep trying. But the gospel of Jesus is different than every other religion. It's that we are accepted, therefore we obey. We don't obey to get accepted because we're accepted. We love God. We're so thankful for the forgiveness we've received in him. That's why we would seek to obey. And do you see how that changes everything as it relates to potential hypocrisy? If any good you do or any righteousness you pursue or may have in your life is not flowing out of your own intrinsic righteousness but that of another, how can you then be judgmental of another person ultimately? It didn't start with you. didn't begin with you. It's a gift. It's a free gift. How can you, how can you look at others with a condemning self-righteous attitude? Throughout the Gospels, one of the reasons I love preaching through the Gospels is that we get to keep returning to these stories that show us these beautiful pictures of how Jesus treats the broken, fallen sinner who's aware of their neediness and their brokenness. The humbled sinner. Look at how he deals with the woman at the well. Look at how he deals in Luke 7 with the lady who's a prostitute, and yet is broken before him in humility. He loves her. He welcomes her, accepts her. He forgives her of her sins. It's the Pharisee. It's the pastor. It's the priest. It's the religious leader who is filled with pride and arrogance, who gets rejected by Jesus. And it's these broken, humbled sinners that are welcomed. The tax collector, the drunkard. Matthew 23, he says this, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs. What imagery? Which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Where I grew up in the Midwest, we make a big deal about cemeteries. They're beautiful. They're these beautiful, peaceful places, right, with these ornate stones and headstones. And you go, I go when I'm home to, to go and to, to say hello in, in a way, right, to those that you've lost in love. And I see generation after generation of, of family that have, have gone before me, and it's all in the same burial plot in this one area, and it's really beautiful, but inside it's the decaying death of those we love. It's unclean. And Jesus used this graphic imagery. This is what you're like. Whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, dead on the inside. What hypocrisy is, it's death. It is spiritual death. Look what it, look what it is and look what it does, what hypocrisy does. There's so much more we could say about this today, but we're going to look at a couple things from this passage. The first thing we see that Jesus points out is hypocrisy inevitably leads us to add to God's word and his law. Like, you're, nice try, God, with your whole will for my life, but I'm going to add some stuff. I'm going to make up some stuff. I'm going to just keep binding other people's freedoms. 
it adds to God's word. In Mark 7, he says this in verses 8 through 9 in our passage this morning. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And what he was talking about was in the Ten Commandments, which is God's moral law for us, the fifth commandment was you shall honor your father and your mother to love them, to serve your parents, to respect your parents, and even in their old age to care for them. But they created a tradition to line the pockets of the priest and the temple and the Pharisees where you could say, you know what, I'm going to declare one of my assets or all of my assets as Corbin, not to be given now during my lifetime, not to take away so that I have to give anything or tithe anything now. This will all happen later, but I'm going to declare my house as Corbin or, or, or my car or my bank account or my, uh, my 403B. Whatever it is, that's, that's set aside for God later at some other time when I'm long gone. Meanwhile, their elderly parents might be suffering and be in great need in their old age, and they say, we don't have any money for you because we declared this money for God. And while that sounds good and righteous, I want you to just think about how horrible this is. What is God's will? That you love your parents, that you serve them in their old age if they, as they, as they get older, and, and especially in this culture where there are no, there, how, how would a person's needs be met if it weren't for their family? Where would they go? There's no hospital. There's no nursing home. There's no, there's no extended, there's no place to go. And so you are it. And they would say, we're honoring God. Look how religious we are and giving money to God. And he's saying, no, that's the tradition of man. You've added to God's will. God's will is you love and serve your parents. It adds to God's word. Next, it makes us judgmental. The Pharisees are judging the disciples for not following the tradition of the elders. They've added to God's word about the washing of hands in pots. And while that may make perfect sense to us today, of course they should be washing their hands before they eat. But that's, it's why they were doing it. We do it for hygiene. They're doing it because they judge other people as being unclean. Works righteousness and self-righteousness necessarily makes us judgmental. Hypocrisy makes us worship God in vain. It divides people. It divides relationships. It even divides churches. I want you to think about it. If you have a church background, a history in your story of, of, of a church, what has ended up dividing people? Why, why do people leave churches ordinarily? What, what has caused church splits? What has led to division in community? Sometimes it's over primary issues that are worth fighting for. Most of the time, though, it's over the traditions of men. Most of the time, it is over the traditions of men and stuff we have made up. Secondary issues, not even things that are necessarily bad, but secondary issues that we've made primary, and then we fight about those. Look at the ways in which secondary issues often divide us, conquer us, and cause us to, to not love one another well. It condemns, ultimately, though, a judgmental spirit. And, and this is what self-righteousness does. This is what hypocrisy does. It makes us be judgmental. And in our judgment, the sad reality is if we remain there without repentance, the persistent hypocrite is actually going to be judged for having rejected the gospel of grace. 
I'm not talking about ordinary hypocrisy that we all struggle with. I'm the person like the Pharisee that persists in this, this judgmental, self-righteous arrogance that won't humble themselves before God is ultimately judged. But thank God there is a solution to our hypocrisy. The heart is our problem. The Old and New Testament says, and the heart is the solution to our problem. The way to become a self-righteous, judgmental hypocrite <laughs> is to focus all of your attention on outward performance. And the way to kill hypocrisy in your heart and your life is to focus serious attention on your own heart and to do so honestly, even, even ruthlessly. The heart is our problem. The heart is the solution to our problem. If you really want to be hypocritical, focus everything on the outside of you and point to every other location. If you really want to be serious, though, about addressing potential hypocrisy in your life, and Jesus warns us so profoundly in this passage, we must. Then we must look inside. We must look to our own hearts. The heart is our problem. The heart is the solution to our problem. The hypocrite, according to Jesus, sees evil outside of ourselves and defilement as outside of, of ourselves. It's over there. It's over there, it's over there, and it's over there. But Jesus says the defilement is not outside of us. It's where? It's inside of us. If I can make defilement, though, is outside of me, I can make all these rules and regulations and traditions of men that will make me feel righteous because I don't have to look inward. I can stay away from that. If you tell me, hey, holiness is to not drink this, then I won't drink it. Holiness means not eating this, then I won't eat it. You don't play these board games. You don't go to these type of places. You don't talk to that type of person. I can do all of that, and then I can feel very good about myself as a righteous person. But Jesus says, no, that's not where defilement begins, and it's not where righteousness begins either. Ultimately, defilement is not out there, and neither is righteousness in a sense. In Mark 7, in our passage, he says this, For from within, out of the heart of men and women come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within. They are what defile a person. It's the heart. It's the heart of selfishness that all of us ultimately have. After this intense interaction with the Pharisees, Jesus goes into a house with the disciples and taught them whatever goes into a person from the outside is not what defiles them. It can't because it's just expelled. It goes to the stomach. You know the bi biology of this, don't you? And it just, it's gone, right? And then Mark pauses to give us an editorial comment, and he almost never does this. So when he does, we ought to really stop and listen. He wants to say something. So rather than just giving us the words of Jesus, he stops and goes, let me tell you about this a little bit. And he only does this a couple of times. Mark said, Jesus thus declared all foods clean. Jesus fulfilled the law. For the Jews, there was no bacon. <laughs> but thanks be to God in Jesus Christ, <laughs> there is bacon. Amen? Amen. 
Hallelujah. Formerly, the Old Testament said that pork was unclean and that, that shrimp were unclean. And, and some of you don't like seafood. I love seafood. God declares all food clean because Jesus had fully fulfilled all of these things. Jesus declares them clean. And Mary Healy, the commentator that I've been reading throughout this, she says, because of this, Christianity would not become merely a branch of Judaism whose members are bound to keep all the prescription of the Torah. It would be the new and fully efficacious way for all human beings to enter into communion with the living God. The door is wide open to the Gentiles. That's most of us in this room who'd be far from God if Jesus had not come. All of us in this room would be far from God if Christ had not come. Why is this so important to us as a church? This issue of hypocrisy, this issue of the way we look at what righteousness is or unrighteousness, defilement or undefilement, what, is, what does that mean? Why is it so important? Because when we take the Pharisees' view and believe that evil is outside of me, it's over there, I can point to it, I can avoid it, I, as long as I don't drink that, eat that, go there, talk to that, then I can remove myself but what we end up doing is necessarily, this affects our view of culture and the way that we pe treat people in culture. It profoundly affects the mission of the church. And while, of course, there are times where the church should be described as a, as a fortress, I like the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, right? He is our fortress. He is our hope. And the church ceases to be a hospital for the broken and the needy and those who are far from God, and instead it, it becomes a fortress, a place, an encampment from which we hide. But instead, the gospel is this. It is not fleeing from the world, leaving the world. It is the redemption of the world. Amen? Jesus has come for sinners such as me and such as you, people who are far from him. When we take the view of the Pharisees and believe that evil is outside of us, we retreat. We become separatists. We become isolationists. We become inwardly focused. And if we're not careful, we become hypocrites. The best way to fight hypocrisy in others in our culture, please hear this, the best way to fight hypocrisy in the culture and in others is to fight it within yourself. Do you really want to see culture get better? Then fight hypocrisy within yourself. We got to stop making, lobbying judgment against other people and expecting hypocrisy to end. We, we must face it within ourselves. Christian, the gospel is the way to fight it. If you want to address hypocrisy in the culture, the place that it must begin is with us in our own hearts, and the way to fight it is on the gospel. Hypocrisy is built on the foundation of self-righteousness. And humility, authenticity, and love are built on the foundation of the gospel. I told you last week we began a remodeling project at our house. We're down to the foundation. We've got all the flooring gone. It's just we're down to the concrete, right? No basements, hardly at all here. So we got this big slab. We're living on the foundation. It just made me think about foundations. And the foundation of hypocrisy is it's self-righteousness. It's what you're standing on if you're a hypocrite. Self-righteousness. But the Christian, the, the gospel-centered person must stand on 
the forgiveness of God to us in Jesus Christ. Not self-righteousness, Christ-righteousness. Not my righteousness, Christ-righteousness. Not what I've done, what Jesus has done. Some questions. These are going to be hard <laughs> for all of us as we try to think about hypocrisy in our life. Because if the way to address hypocrisy in the culture and others is to address it ourselves, we must do that. I challenge us today. I challenge myself to be thinking this. Do you have to be right all the time? Which foundation would that be building on? Self-righteousness or, or the righteousness of Jesus? If you personally have to be right all the time in an argument, in a debate, as you're looking at culture, are you overly defensive? Do people have the freedom to point out things to you in your life? You know what? There's just something I need to tell you. You know, like this interaction with you was hurtful to me. This was difficult. Um, I love you. I come to you in love. I want to I just conflict resolution. Can people bring a difficult subject to you without the wall of defensiveness just coming up immediately and boom, I will attack any sense of you not saying that I'm perfect. I must keep the wall up of self-defense. What foundation are you building on? Self-righteousness? Christ-righteousness. Do you trust your own motives maybe too much and judge others motives too harshly. Do you, do you notice how good we are <laughs> at judging the motives of other people and how bad we are at checking our own motives? We are so quick to judge the motives of other people and we are so quick to defend our own motives. Friends, what is that built on? What foundation is that laid in? Is that self-righteousness or is that Christ-righteousness? Is that self-righteousness or is that Christ-righteousness? Can you doubt your own motives or are you quick to defend the disposition of your heart? Another really difficult question. Do you have a public persona that is different from your private one? We all do, of course, but are you purposely working to keep up the facade? Do you judge others and do the same thing or similar things in your heart? And ultimately, do you see how the gospel can free you? The gospel is the solution. Our problem is the heart. Defilement is not outside of us. It's not over there. It's not over there. It's not over there. It's right here. It's in my heart. It's in, it's in your heart. The hypocrite points to the person who has committed some sexual sin or just struggles with it in some manner and judges but fails to see that right there in their own heart is sexual immorality, lust, adultery, theft, envy, coveting. Right there in your own heart is murder, anger, judgment, murderous heart. The hypocrite who is far from the kingdom of God says, I would never commit adultery. Never. I'm way too righteous for that. But the Christian, the gospel-centered person, the person standing on Christ's righteousness says, even if I've never actually committed adultery, I see the heart of it right there in my own heart. I've maybe never taken anyone's life, but I, in my heart I see anger and I, and I see the ways in which that's a murderous, a murderous heart. And 
even though I've never stolen literally like somebody's car or whatever, my envy and my covetous heart is similar. Jesus is pointing this out. Oh God, without your mercy, I deserve death. The hypocrite says, I deserve salvation. The Christian says, without the mercy of Christ, I would surely, I only deserve death. But thanks be to God for Jesus, his incomparable gift. The heart is our problem and the heart is the solution. And I've got good news for you from Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament. The prophet said, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. This is what Jesus does. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is beating, that actually has a pulse, that is alive for God, that is alive in love for him and alive for other people and has been humbled. Church hypocrisy is deadly because a true hypocrite is an actor. They may pretend to worship God, but they don't. They act as if they believe the gospel, but don't. Their cleanliness is only exterior, not interior, and we all can fall into hypocrisy. And Jesus is warning us so intensely in this passage. It's a serious call for each of us to look deeply and profoundly into. And I know we're not supposed to talk about politics in church, but I'm going to. And here's why. Our culture profoundly needs to apply this very message to our cultural moment, our cultural day. There is so much hypocrisy in our cultural discourse right now regarding politics and so many other things. Friends, listen, please have ears to hear. Republicans, defilement isn't outside of you. It's not over there with the Democrats. It's found right there in your own party, in your own candidate, in your own heart. Democrats, defilement is not outside of you. It's found right there in your own party, your own candidate, your own hearts. Defilement is not outside of us. We keep throwing bombs at each other and treating each other with such disdain over politics, which has become our primary identity, traditions of men instead of the kingdom of God. We have a primary citizenship, the kingdom of God, and we can be patriots and love this country profoundly, as, as I do. Patriotism, yes, but this over-identifying with this nation in such a way that we would be willing to attack our brothers and sisters in Christ and those people made in the image of God over secondary issues. Friends, defilement just isn't out there. It's not that simple. They're defiled. You're defiled. Christ is the only one who's righteous. Humble yourselves before a holy God. Be careful of the way you treat each other on social media, in public discourse. These are still human beings created in the image of God. Be careful of the hypocrisy. Your political hypocrisy could be the very thing that is keeping people from the kingdom of God and hearing the good news about Jesus. Do you really want to stand on the righteousness of your political party and platform or the righteousness of Christ and the beauty of him and his mercy and his kindness and goodness? Conservatives, you need to hear this. Liberals, you need to hear this. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. There's this sense where 
until you can look within your own heart, your own tribe, your own party, your own candidate, and bring that critique. Are you always lobbing bombs against them? Yeah, but in our case, it's justified. When you begin to do that, you are becoming a hypocrite. When you are beginning to constantly justify your actions, your party's actions, your candidate's actions, your own actions, you are, be be careful, you're becoming a hypocrite. Be careful of the yeah buts, yeah but, yeah but. Friends, it's death. It's a spiritual death. The justification, the justification always lobbing bombs at the other and making excuses for our own. It's a spiritual death. Be careful of hypocrisy. The best way to fight hypocrisy in others in our culture is to fight it within yourself. Christian, the gospel is the way to fight it. Hypocrisy is built on the foundation of self-righteousness. Humility, authenticity, and love are built on the foundation of the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, have have mercy on us as hypocrites. Every one of us has strayed like lost sheep. All of us are broken, fallen sinners, and yet we all have had judgment in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters, towards people created in the image of of your, your image. And, Father, we have built too much a foundation on self-righteousness opposed to your righteousness. Oh, Lord, these are trying times in our nation and our culture, and would your church rise up and stand on the firm foundation of your gospel and be quick to repent, to not justify sin for when sin is sin, to not make excuse for anything that is outside of your will and your clear word, but to stand upon your righteousness, to not have to justify these things, but to stand upon you, our rock and our redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen.